0: Today's reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, starting at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our ears open to God's word. We've heard what must be the most moving and powerful description of Jesus in his hour of need. And this is a very hard sermon for me to preach, and I think it's a hard sermon for us all here. It deals with the very heart, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple. For Jesus' life was shaped by the cross, and anyone who would follow him is called to live a cross-shaped life. And I want this morning to reflect a little bit on what that means in practice. And what we shall see above everything else is that a cross-shaped life is a surrendered life. A cross-shaped life is a surrendered life. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was talking about a cup, a cup that was not the blessing cup of the Last Supper that he just had with his disciples, but this was that which the prophets had spoken of, the cup of wrath, God's fury against sinfulness. And in our paintings, among the many paintings around our church, Today, we have one in that far corner, which we sip and have coffee nearby. But it's one of darkness, fear, and foreboding. It is as full of force of anything that lay ahead. Jesus began to enter into the incredible Reality of what the future held for him. Here he is in Gethsemane. And I just want to follow Matthew's description that Emily just read and just make some comments as we go through. Matthew writes, And Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled and said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And so as we watch Jesus, what can we learn? How can he teach us about the nature of suffering, the nature of living a cross-shaped life? Well, there's something, first of all, incredibly significant here. It shows Jesus' vulnerability, his utter humanity, his need of others to be there for him. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. Another version talks about his soul being crushed. Do you know that feeling when the most terrible, terrible things are happening and you can hardly breathe, let alone speak, with a depth of sorrow within, we know that from his own, our own experience, and we also know that we long for, more than anything else, is our closest friends, our family, just to be there with us. We don't want fancy words from a vicar, giving cliches about how God's working for our good in it all. We just want. Uh, Someone who loves us to be there with us, alongside us. In our most greatest need, our greatest need is for somebody to be there at the hospital bed as we hear that terrible news. No words, just being there. And Jesus says, stay here to his disciples and keep watch with me. Just be with me through this time. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now the artist, the Ethiopian artist who portrayed Jesus, has him kneeling. But in the Matthew's gospel, we hear of him. Lying, prostrate, before God in utter abandonment. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week who said, when I was grieving over my husband's death, who we'd been married for over 60 years, I found myself kneeling in my lounge and that grief came across me and I just fell forward. I hadn't appreciated it until I thought about it. I fell forward on my face, and I was wailing with grief on the carpet of my lounge in Bromley Heath. It's, as it were, the body just expressing what is deep, deep within the spirit. And Jesus is there, his his body language matching his spoken words, and his prayer was simply, not my will, but yours. But notice he said to the father, If it is possible, take this cup from me. If it is possible. He knew he was the Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sin of the world. And yet he also knew the story of Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham had taken, been called by God to take Isaac and to take him to a mountain with a firewood ready to sacrifice him, his only son, and yet at the point where he lifted the dagger to kill his son, God saw his obedience and said to him, called to him with an angel's voice, Abraham, do not kill your son. Look behind you, there's a bush. A, in, in the bush was a ram, a lamb that was provided for the sacrifice instead. He knew that story, that God had saved Abraham and Isaac from his death if there is a way Lord would you do the same for me can you find another way another way that the cost of human sinfulness can be paid and the humanity can be forgiven and restored into a relationship with you Lord without me having to go through all this there was no answer so he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Interesting little addition there to the detail. He asked Peter. Matthew's just recorded, a few verses earlier, that it was Peter who, when Jesus says that he's going, and we will be betrayed by other people, by a son of man will be betrayed and handed into the hands of sinners. He's just said that Peter says, No, Lord, this will never happen to you. I will die for you to avoid this happening. <laughs> so he says to Peter, Could you not even keep away one hour? Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, in our imagination, we can hear the grief in Jesus' voice. Here is the first signs of being utterly alone in his suffering. And yet he's still thinking of them, the disciples. And he says to them, not only watch, but he says now, pray. Look to God for strength and pray for that strength to endure. Watch and pray. Pray. And that's a real journey of discipleship. We can easily feel caught up in our grief. But to be able to turn to God in the midst of that grief is a high calling. But it's the thing that Jesus commands his disciples to do. Because he knows that they're weak in the human spirit. They need God's strength to overcome the spirit. The spirit and to overcome their fleshly weakness. So he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now here's a slightly different prayer. He's acknowledging now that the way of the cross is the way he is to follow. May your will be done, says Jesus. He acknowledges that this is the way. So Lord, I surrender to that way. Because you, God, are Lord of all. You are the sovereign Lord. You are Yahweh. And I offer myself to you. Indeed, hadn't He taught His disciples to pray that time and time again as a pattern of praying, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That was their daily prayer. But notice, particularly, that Jesus' surrendering is not to one who is full of hatred, who is intent on evil. But it is a surrender to one who is full of love, who is intent on good. Your will be done, says Jesus. He doesn't say it in a sort of resignate. You know, it's not a cry of resignation. Oh, okay, sarah, sarah, you know, whatever will be. It's just my fate and that's how it is. And there's nothing of that. This is a cry that is full of faith. God, your will be done. I believe, as we said in that creed, God is God. He is the Lord. He is sovereign over us and we can trust him. Jesus knew that. He was a pattern for our discipleship and for our trusting in the Lord who is God of all when we are in the depths of despair and suffering. And so when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and so this time he didn't even wake them up. Matthew tells us he just left them and went away. And once more prayed the third time saying the same thing. For now Jesus had been forsaken by his closest friends who had become over, overcome by tiredness and he abandons himself fully into the arms of the one who is with him, the only one who is with him. But he is the one who will always be with him through suffering and death and will love him into eternity. And it's as if Jesus has here a sort of a, a new perspective on things. It's as if he's taken a huge breath in, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit's just filled him with this perspective that God is God and he has in his hands great purposes for the world. His love is being poured out. And the way that Emily read that last verse of the reading was brilliant. Do you notice how she picked up her voice and got that sense of Jesus? Right, he was now walking ahead. He was going to face the battle that lay ahead of him. He gets up and goes back to where his friends are and faces the future that his father has called him to embrace. A future that is full of love for the world. And then, says Matthew, he returned to the disciples, said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Well, look, the hour has now come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And he faces that suffering, that future, which is full of hell. Square on. Doesn't flinch. Because he has surrendered himself totally into the hands of God. So Jesus' life was shaped by the cross, the essence of which is summed up in his words, not my will, but yours be done. He is showing us that a cross-shaped life is a surrendered life. And it's a pattern for all who will follow. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. At the beginning of Lent, we talked about and thought about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. That was a temptation to surrender to his worst enemy. The invitation of Gethsemane is to surrender to his closest friend. His Father, God. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. And he had learned to trust this God no matter what was happening. And disciples of today are learning to surrender to God in every way of their lives. Whether it be surrendering to the word of God, And in the works of God, we surrender to God's word. We say, Lord, I recognize in the scriptures your authority, your truth. And though I might disagree with it, it's not very PC. It's not what other people think in our culture around us. Lord, I surrender to that. I submit myself to it because this is your way for humanity. And I will pay the cost when I get ridiculed for it or I stand out differently to others. Because I surrender to the truth and authority of your word. I know, Lord, that the Ten Commandments are commandments. They're not the Ten Suggestions. And I surrender to them. I want to be ready to suffer for going your way, as millions in this world do in so many, so many ways. A disciple is one who believes that God's word is God's way for living now. It was there right the way through scriptures. In the Old Testament, the prophet Micah said, He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require for you of you? To act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's cross-shaped living if you think about it. I've brought with me just a very plain cross with some wire on it. The Micah words describe two ways of living to act justly and love mercy. That's the horizontal bar of the cross, as it were. The looking out towards others. We're to act justly towards others and to justly towards our planet. And we are to love mercy toward others and show mercy to those who have offended us. That is the cross beam going across. But to walk humbly with our God is the vertical axis of the cross. In relation to this God, we walk with him. As another way of describing discipleship. Walking with God in humility, in praise, in thankfulness, in honoring God with all that we do in relationship with the one who calls us his children. That is cross-shaped living. A disciple is one who has surrendered to God in every decision that he or she makes, in the works that we continue to do every day of our lives, in the decisions we make to do with our job, or our relationships, or to do with our finance, Or to do with where we live, or how to serve, or how we use our time. Lord, what do you want? Your will be done. My will isn't the thing that matters here. If you were here on Friday, you'll have heard Rod Williams speaking of that incredible transition from going his way, singing Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. He didn't do it his way after he had met with Jesus. He found a new way of living. It was a cross-shaped way of living. But only after he'd surrendered himself, asked for forgiveness a thousand times on his knees, in his prison cell, and received the peace and forgiveness that God brought to him through Jesus. So I want us to, to sing a song which is... Pivotal to all this. I'd like the music group just to come forward a second. A surrendered life is one, yes, when we turn first to Christ, we say, yes, Lord, I give myself to you. But a Christian disciple is one that goes on saying that every day of their lives in every aspect of life, in our praying, in our living. A surrendered life is one where we are walking with the Lord and working for the Lord, whatever we do, for the glory of God. And as we come to God to worship him and thank him for what he is and who he is, we can recognize that if he is sovereign over everything that we're about, Working through all the circumstances of life, we will be able to surrender ourselves fully and find ourselves in the place of true intimacy with that God who is all in all to us. Let's stand together.